Welcome aboard the dragon, the orbital zombie dragon, where we talk about all things sci-fi, horror, and fantasy, and also try to give some writing tips. I am your captain, Richard Boomzilla Pippin, and Dragana is settling the ship down into low Earth orbit to begin another of our weekly transmissions. I know we missed last week. <laughs> It was uh, kind of unavoidable, though, although I have decided a way to remedy that when I have to miss a session. Uh, the crew was sick last week, <laughs> and I'm talking about the whole crew on this ship over here, including yours truly, the captain. It was nothing serious, though. It wasn't any type of, you know, space herpes. <laughs> it was the Zebulon flu. And believe me, y'all didn't want to hear me uh, coughing and hacking into the microphone. It, it would have been bad. So I have a solution for this whenever I have to miss an episode or when I, when I know I'm just not going to make it for reasons like that. Uh, as some of you know, I had an original 42 episodes uh, before we had a, uh, you know, kind of stopped the show for <laughs> about a year or so. And so what I'm thinking about doing is going through all those episodes and start compiling a, a best of of the old show. So if I have to miss a week, I'll just I'll chop together a 45 minute or hour long best of episode. Y'all can listen to kind of retro of the show. You can see how probably how much better I've gotten <laughs> this talking into the mic thing and also how my uh, my audio production quality has gotten better. And I figure by the time I run out of material from those, we might be quite a long way into these episodes. So I can use some of these as a best of material also and kind of keep that rolling. So I have to miss a week or two and it's just unavoidable. I'll still put something out there on Sunday for y'all to listen to a, a best of. <laughs> now, I know normally, like I said, we normally talk about all things sci-fi, horror and fantasy. But before with the old show, and I'm going to continue that tradition now. I make October Horror Month, where I just talk about all things horror. And uh, so this month, every Sunday, we're going to have all horror. I usually uh, pick a theme. You know, like I'll talk about maybe ghost movies one week, or ghost books, or TV shows, or uh, I'll talk about witches, or vampires, and where else. I'll pick a theme, and we'll discuss that genre of, or subgenre of horror films. And talk about the structure of it and how those things, uh, the formula behind them. And uh, I'll, I'll pick three things to talk about, whether they're books or TV shows or movies. So uh, we'll also have a uh, special Halloween Day episode. It'll probably be a much shorter episode because it'll be in the middle of a, a work week, a flying week here on the ship. <laughs> so I'll do a special Halloween Day episode, though. And that show is going to be uh, the best horror of 2018, according to me. <laughs> because that's what's important, right? What the captain thinks. What's the best horror of 2018? 
you know, so far up to that point, according to the captain. <laughs> so like I said, every week I'm going to pick a theme. And in fact, I don't know, I'm not going to announce it yet, but I may have a guest when I do. Uh, I'm trying to put together a werewolf show and I might have a special guest. I'm not going to say anything definite, make any promises yet. But once I get it nailed down, I'll definitely let y'all know what weekend we're finally having a guest here on the show to talk about werewolves. <laughs> and in particular, uh, I don't know if you know about the, where I'm from. I'm from South Louisiana. And there's a local legend here about a, uh, the, the Rougarou. It's a local werewolf uh, legend. We even have a local Rougarou festival that's coming up pretty soon that I participate in. And uh, the, the the Rougarou basically is kind of a, a corruption of the French Loup-Garou. Loup-Garou and turned into Rougarou over the years and it's just what stuck. So that's... <laughs> but we'll talk more about that when we get to the werewolf episode. Today's theme, I'm talking about teen scream movies. And originally I was going to say slash or serial killer, but uh, the more I looked for that, the more I realized... Uh, that the slasher serial killer was even kind of like a sub sub genre of this and can be a sub genre of other things. What I was really looking at was teen screams where it involves teenagers, either high school or college age teenagers being, you know, relentlessly hunted by something. Although it wasn't always a slasher serial killer. Sometimes it's supernatural elements to it, but I got, uh, I picked out three things for it, but before I get into the three things I picked for this week, I want to talk about the formula behind these films and kind of the, well, not so much the history. I don't want to bore you too much with history, but these things have been around for a long time. And every now and then you see these articles like, oh, is the teen scream genre dead? I really don't think so. We just had another one come out that I'm going to talk to you about today. And I think it will just will continue. I mean, you can always have good ones and bad ones. And uh, some people just don't like them at all, whether they're good or bad. So, <laughs> so uh, I'll, I guess I'll preface this show with that. If you don't like Teen Screams at all, then you won't like any of these. But I actually have one, uh, three that I picked out. Uh, one was bad and two were good. And one was really good for a Teen Scream movie. <laughs> like I said these things have been around since the 70s and maybe before. And uh, basically, it's a really simple formula for a film, and maybe that's why it sometimes works. Basically, it always kind of starts the same way. It's a group of young people, and they're uh, having fun, or they're on their way to somewhere to have some fun, and then things go wrong, and then they're either pursued or or haunted or, or uh, chased or whatever. Pretty simple, simple formula for a story. Just things go wrong. Uh, the beginning usually kind of lets you know who these characters are. Maybe something important about their character. And it's it, don't look for anything too deep here. It's usually something pretty simple like, oh, this person's uh, terrified of roaches. <laughs> or this person's uh, really loyal to this friend of theirs. Or uh, they really love their boyfriend, but their boyfriend's you know has the eye for someone else. It, 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 they just kind of set up a little bit relationship between the characters and let you know something about the characters, that's usually, if it's a good one, kind of important to what happens to them later on and what, what makes that character scared, I guess, of what's going on. So again, really simple formula. Don't ever look for anything too deep in these movies or a whole lot of character developments. They're typically very short. 
typically under under hour and a half mark. I've seen uh, two of them. I think I watched this week were like eighty minutes long. So they're usually pretty low budget productions. There are some high budget ones out there, but they're usually pretty low budget. And low budget means less film time, less production time, which renders a shorter film. <laughs> that's just that's just how it goes with these films. So they don't have a lot of time to let you know a lot about the characters. Some of them do it really well and and punch you you know punch you right in, dial you right into the character uh, without boring you to death. But they also have to fit the scares in too. And they got they got a tight ninety or under ninety minute window to present the story to you. So it usually progresses very quickly. You don't get much in the way of character developments. The ones that do it well make you care about the characters and cringe when they're getting killed. And the ones that are bad just because I don't care about any of these people. I hope they all die. <laughs> so that's what the bad ones do. So like I said, I have one bad one, one really bad one for you today and two good ones. So uh, captain's rules here. I'm going to give you the bad dude, bad news first. <laughs> we'll start with the bad one. And the bad one for today was a movie from 2017 called Truth or Dare. And I know what you're probably already thinking. Like, you can't really expect too much from a movie called Truth or Dare. Uh, but that's not so. I mean, they had some good ones back in the day, like April Fool's Day. I mean, it's just, 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 just a title. Don't judge it by a title. <laughs> but, so I gave it a chance. I remember hearing things about this film, but I wasn't sure if there were bad things or good things. So I just I just kind of went into it open mind and went to watch it to see what I thought of it. Anyway, this uh, <laughs> I'm going to go over this. There's another common thing with these films. You're not going to know a lot of these people. <laughs> okay. But this one's starring uh, Cassandra Skirbo, I think her name is. And she's probably the only one I'm going to list. I know I normally go through at least two or three cast members, but she's really the only one I'm going to list from this because uh, you probably know her from like all of the Sharknado films. If you watched all of the Sharknado films, I haven't, by the way. I, <laughs> I think maybe I watched part of the first one and I had trouble getting into those, but uh, they're apparently really popular. There's like six or seven of them. I, I don't know. I lost track. There's so many Sharknados. <laughs> they're they're like a, a, a joke they're telling about themselves at these point points, sort of like the Scream films. Although they're more, if you really think about it, they're more successful than the Scream films. They stalled out at four. There was talk about a Scream five, and it just fizzled out and came back again, and then fizzled out again. And Sharknado is like seven or eight. I think Final Sharknado is coming up, and it probably won't be final. Remember the final Friday the Thirteenth? It wasn't the final either. <laughs> The final chapter. And then they had like eight more. That'll probably be Sharknado. <laughs> but anyway, Cassandra Scurbo's in this. All the rest of them is a bunch of people you never heard of. I never heard of them. Uh, I'm sure somebody's going to uh, tweet me or write me and say like, I heard of this guy. He was in this and this. No, you went look it up on IMDb. You didn't know who he was either. <laughs> <laughs> but like I said, this is very common in these films. Again, they're they're usually pretty low restricted budget. Uh, they don't get big names typically. They get people that's kind of up and coming or brand newbies, and uh, typically very young actors just getting their start. I mean, hell, uh, Kevin Bacon was in the original Friday the Thirteenth. 
And you go like, oh, of course he was. But nobody knew the hell who the hell Kevin Bacon was at that point. He hadn't done Footloose yet. Or Stir of Echoes. <laughs> I should mention something genre. But he was in the first Friday the 13th, but nobody knew who the hell he was. He was just some guy to get stabbed to death on a cot. <laughs> Which is another one perfect example. These, these movies all start out with a, some teens on their way to have fun. And that's why I say these movies are great to watch, uh, to go to sleep to. Because if you fall asleep in the first 10 minutes, then it's a really pleasant story. Like, oh, they're going to they're gonna fix up that summer camp for the kids. It's going to be so nice. <laughs> oh, they're going to uh, have fun on spring break. It's going to have so much fun and come back. And then you fall asleep and you don't know what happened to them. So it's a good story. It's a happy story. But if you stay awake longer than that, things go wrong. This show is no exception. <laughs> this one's uh, pretty simple in its setup. Yeah, it's a bunch of college-age teens. They all you know, live on the same uh, campus together. And they're going to this uh, haunted house. The guy uh, that sets it up for him even says he found it on some scaryrentals.com website. <laughs> Which, who knows? That might really exist. I'm going to have to go punch it in a little while. Scaryrentals.com. See if it exists. Well, you can rent a haunted house for the night and go spend. And that's what he does. He rents a haunted house for the night. Kind of silly, but, you know, 30 years ago, some kids went there and they played Truth or Dare. And all of them but one died. And the one survivor uh, survived only with uh, horrible scores, scars and got sent to a mental asylum. So he sent his friends up. You know, we're going to go there and play Truth or Dare in his house, get drunk and have some fun. Uh, get some good goofy uh, scares in on each other and have a lot of fun and go back to school Monday morning, right? <laughs> but it doesn't go that way. Turns out history repeats itself 30 years later. This one is not a slash or serial killer film. This is a very heavy supernatural uh, film. What, what comes after them is supernatural in nature. And at this point, this is where the bad comes in. It just gets silly. Uh, there, there seems to be no motivation that this entity really has except to torture and lead these children to their death. <laughs> there's no, uh, I don't know. There's no, uh, goal for them to shoot for like some of these, uh, movies have a, a thing. Well, if we do this to satisfy the spirit, it'll leave us alone. Let us go. No, this one's just a ruthless it's bordering on torture porn type shit. It's it's pretty bad. And uh, it was just really silly to me. One of the things that really bothered me about it, well, two things. One of the things, the first thing that bothered me is these kids, and again, I know they're pressed for time in this 80-minute film, but these kids seem to accept this premise that they need to do what the Spirit tells them, all these dares. There's only one truth, all the rest of it's dares. And there's a saying that, you go, that, that, that the spirit gives them, do the dare or the dare does you. And they accept this premise really fast and start doing horrible things to themselves and each other. Uh, and they just accept this as these are the rules very quickly, uh, where I think a, a lot of people in reality, which, I mean, you got to suspend disbelief in all of these. A lot of people in reality, though, would be like, they would not accept the rules even when people started dying, they'd still try to escape until they all died, I think. So that was a little silly, but <clears throat> okay, suspend disbelief on that and continue, right? And I was willing to go there, but this entity in this movie is extremely powerful. 
And if you bother to watch this horrible film, or if you've seen it already, you know what I'm talking about. Um, in, in typically supernatural or ghost stories or these haunting type stories, the entities are not this powerful. This this thing's control extends beyond the house. It follows the people around town, and it can create things and move things around. Uh, literally creates a gun out of thin air that doesn't explain where it came from. Just suddenly there's a gun in the guy's bed and he needs to go rob a gas station or else. And just, he's about to leave and like, Oh, don't forget the gun. Suddenly a gun appears in his bed <laughs> and it's a real gun that he can go and use. And just things, things are spontaneously created and it just, it just gets really silly. There's also a couple of the scenes where they I mean, it's basically, like I said, a lot of torture porn where they're asked to do things like one of them, I'll give this away, was pull out two teeth. And this was after they visited the original survivor to find out how to survive. And she told him that you can share the dare. Some more alliteration there. Share the dare. So if it tells you to pull two teeth, you don't have to pull two of your own teeth. You can pull anybody's two teeth out. So you can pull one on one and one on the other. If they tell you to uh, cut off, uh, you know, seven body parts. You can split it up among seven people and everybody only has to lose one. So that's kind of the premise there. But it provides them with a, a pair of pliers just appears. Here's some pliers for you to pull two teeth and they share it like they were advised to. And you know, two of them pull each other's teeth out. And I've, uh, I've unfortunately had a tooth pulled before. It involved a bar fight in a galaxy you never heard of. So... Uh, pulling teeth out is, <laughs> is not that easy as it's portrayed in this movie. I had a trained, you know, oral surgeon that had a shit ton of trouble pulling a tooth out of my head. And he's just like, eh, just reaching there, eh, just twisting. <laughs> it just comes out. No, <laughs> no, no, it's not that easy. And, uh, and, and much, um, more prolonged than <laughs> <laughs> they show in here and again suspend disbelief but overall this this movie is just silly it had uh, just almost zero redeeming qualities and the end if you make it that far if you make it to the end uh, there's no payoff at the end of this ride let me tell you it's just it's just a horrible ending it takes you nowhere it's just pure silliness you don't care about any of the characters the only story development is, or character development, is pretty thin, and and uh, pretty stereotype characters, <laughs> and and dumb characters. I'll just put it that way, and dumb characters too, and just end up not really caring about any of them. All of them are kind of uh, either fair to bad people, <laughs> and and like I said. It, it seems to be no motivation for the spirit picking them other than they went to the house and played truth or dare there. So nothing special there either. Uh, I just picked this one cause I saw it had just come on Netflix. Like I said, and I had heard of it before. Couldn't remember if it was good or bad. And I was like, I'm gonna watch this and talk about it. I personally wouldn't advise it. I have to come up with a new rating system. I was joking two episodes ago about like 4.6.37 and this. Yeah. I wasn't uh, too impressed with my rating system right there, I'll say. So maybe I'll come with something like if it's if it's sci-fi, it'll be like how many blasters. 
you know, zero to five blasters. And we'll uh, make it horror. Let's see. We'll call it uh, Tombstones. So on zero to five Tombstones, I would give this one a one. About a one Tombstone. <laughs> so don't bother. What else do I have for you today? Oh, yeah. Uh, wrong Turn. Going back a little further here. I had to dig a little deep. There hadn't been a whole lot of these recently. Uh, these teen screams. And some of them just didn't really fit with the theme I was going for. So I went back a little further and I found a good one for you. Now, Wrong Turn is another series that has gone on for a while. I think they're on six and maybe sevens coming out. Most of the ones after the first one have been direct to video. And there's a reason for that. <laughs> I really, I watched some of the sequels. I really cannot recommend those either. But the original one, this one from 2003, was actually for a teen scream film really good. And I'll, I'll say this, too, before I talk about the rest of it. If you can find it, I'm going to have to search to see if I can find it. But on the DVD, uh, which I no longer have, I had to watch it streaming. There was like a bloopers section, an outtake section of the DVD. And if you can find those videos of those outtakes of these actors playing around in the uh, inbred hillbilly outfits... <laughs> <laughs> those guys had a lot of fun uh, in between scene and off camera when they screwed up a scene. It was uh, one of the better horror movie bloopers reels I've I've ever seen. I, I need to try and find that because I, I would give you details on it, but I'm going from memory from way back and I'd, I'd probably mess it up. I just remember kind of one of them was the, one of the inbred hillbillies, all the, the characters the, the, that you're rooting for, they're hiding in the cabin in various places in the cabin. And two of them are hiding under a bed, which is literally too small for someone to actually hide under. But again, you see that in tons of these movies where they're like, oh, they would totally get spotted. But the actors are acting and they have to pretend to not see somebody hiding under the bed and walk right by it, you know, build the suspense. But in reality, I mean, if you watch, you know, behind the scenes, the camera, the camera angle, and and just the size of the bed and the size of the room, like anybody from any place in the room would see that somebody was hiding under the bed. So the actor that's in the inbred hillbilly outfit is walking around like he doesn't see them, like he's supposed to for the scene. And I guess he just thought it'd be funny to to uh, break the scene and just go off script and just lean down really quick in the other actor's face and just go booga 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 booga. booga. And they, they just start laughing because they know it's off script. <laughs> like, I saw you. <laughs> like I said, if you can find it, one of the better horror movie bloopers reels out there I found. Anyway, again, like I said, this is a 2003 film starring Desmond Harrington as Chris Flynn. I think he's been in some genre stuff if you go back far enough. I know him from Dexter. He was uh, the detective Joey whatever. That was Jennifer Carpenter's boyfriend in the later seasons. And you also have, uh, he, you know, so he plays Chris Flynn, kind of the main character in this one. The other main character is played by Eliza Dushku, who plays Jessie. You might know her from Dollhouse. That's the only thing I can think of genre from her. She's been in a lot of other stuff. Some Jay and Silent Bob films. I think she does a lot of voice acting now. I don't think I've seen her do a lot of live film at least not anything that I watch. But she does do a good bit of voice acting. 
Um, I'm I'm not a huge <laughs> Eliza Dushku fan. Uh, I find that she has basically one facial expression that kind of looks like she's uh, between somewhere between thinking about uh, not liking you very much and taking a shit, or possibly taking a shit on you because she doesn't like you very much. No, <laughs> I don't know how else to describe that look. I'm trying to think of a way. She just looks kind of, you know, like I'm a badass and you're all beneath me kind of, eh. you know, I don't know. It's kind of a, I don't know what to call that. Yeah. You'll see. Watch this film. She has this face through the whole film, through the whole goddamn film, whether she's scared or whether she actually is contemptuous. That's the face contemptuous. Yeah. <laughs> it took me a while to get to that, huh? So. Yeah, but she has that, if she's scared, if she actually is contemptuous, if she's thinking hard about something, she's sad, it's all the same face. She's kind of like Kristen Stewart. She's like an early version of Kristen Stewart. Don't watch Kristen Stewart films. I'm just kidding. No, I'm not. Anyway, <laughs> I'm not a huge fan of Elisha Dushko. I'll just say that. Although I have heard that Dollhouse is pretty good. I'm going to have to go back and watch that one day, maybe talk about it on the show. I also want to give a no-booty alert. That's right. The first ever. As you know in this show, I give booty alerts. If there's an actress that's particularly attractive, or an actor. Hey, I play fair. I, if, if I'll let the ladies know if, if Chris Hemworth is shirtless in a film. I give booty alerts. Like You might want to watch this film just to see your favorite actor or actress uh, looking really good. So, But Eliza Dushku, while she is... Uh, attractive I'll give a no booty alert for her because she has no booty and that's all I'm going to say about that (laughs) you also have in this film uh, Jeremy Sisto I really like Jeremy Sisto he's kind of a secondary main character but I wanted to mention him because I like Jeremy Sisto he plays Scott you kind of tell these characters, you know, these films don't have a whole lot of character development because a lot of times you go look up the cast, they don't even list the last name. It's not important. It's just like Scott, Chris, Jesse, you know. <laughs> Which one? That Jesse for the Eliza Dushu's character, that's just generic. I'm a badass chick name, isn't it? And that's kind of what she tries to play in this film. Like, I'm just a badass. I'm just the badass chick in this group. Get out of my way, and I'm going to take charge, and whatever. And it's just Elijah Dushku being contemptuous. <laughs> oh, we got to stop bashing Elijah Dushku and get to the point here. And I get to the point, Captain. So, <laughs> the point is, this show, despite Elijah Dushku, is actually really good. And I know what you're saying. It's wrong turn, and, and the, all the later ones were bad. Yes, they are. All the later ones are bad, like really bad. But the original one was actually good. It was well put together. Again, uh, the main character is not on his way to have a good time, he's, but he's on his way to something important for him, something good in his life. He's going to get interviewed. He finished, uh, he finished uh, you know, his four years of college, and now he's trying to get into med school, and he's got an interview at the Southern University. And he takes a shortcut because there's this, this chemical spill accident on the main highway. Ends up taking a back road through South Carolina and ends up 
where the uh, you know the inbred hillbillies are waiting to ambush people. <laughs> he runs into the other characters who are on their way to have a good time, or actually they are having a good time. They're parked out there. They was going hiking and bike riding out in the wilderness, and they ran across one of the hillbillies' traps. Some barbed wire strung across the road, wrapped and shredded their tires. And now they're stuck, and Chris Flynn runs into them. So now he, you know, his accident runs into the back of their vehicle because it stopped in the middle of the road around a curve. And they just, they, they're stuck there now. They're trying to find a way out. And of course, the inbred cannibal hillbillies. <laughs> I know I told y'all this was a good film, and here I'm talking like inbred cannibal hillbillies. How good can it be? But I'm telling you, it's good. It's actually good. You get to know the characters a little bit. You find out one of them's engaged, the other one, uh, the, you know, the two other ones are boyfriend and girlfriend and uh, find out kind of what, you know, their background a little bit. Uh, and Eliza Dushku is the, the girl that somebody just dumped. So she's single. She's available for this Chris Flynn character. <laughs> I can't imagine why she's been dumped with that sourpuss face. Huh? Who would dump that? Uh, difficult to please. <laughs> Bitchy. You know, who would dump her? Now, <laughs> it's only mentioned in passing when it seems like, oh, next time she gets dumped, you can take her out into the woods. <laughs> Back to the point. Okay. So, again, this is a, another, you know, strictly a pursuit film. I don't know if I'd call it so much a slasher. It's basically these inbred hillbillies. They have axes and bows and hammers and whatever the fuck else inbred hillbillies have to try and kill you with. And uh, they're 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 good trackers, hunters, whatever. And I can tell the actors, uh, particularly the the the, the skinny gimp looking one, really had fun uh, in these costumes and playing these roles. <laughs> and but they didn't go over the top with it. The later films they went over the top with it. And didn't do as good a makeup costuming job, and it just seemed silly. But these were actually good. They were uh, terrifying like they should be, and pretty relentless and, and methodical in their pursuit. They know these people are in their territory. They can take their time. You know, these are city slickers that don't know their way around here. And they know the hills better than anybody. Hill folk. They've been living there their whole lives, eating people their whole lives. <laughs> so they're very methodical about it. They know if somebody, you know, runs this way, then it's going to lead to this, you know, gorge and they're going to be trapped or whatever. So they're very slow and methodical about it, very sure about themselves. And uh, maybe that's what allows, I'm not going to give it away. Maybe that's what allows the two people that survive. I can tell you which ones. <laughs> but we'll tell you it's two of them. <laughs> maybe that overconfidence kind of helped them out. They didn't think anybody would, uh, you know, chase them back to their to their lair, so to speak, their cabin with the bed that's too small to hide under. <laughs> but anyway, this is a well-constructed pursuit film. Pretty terrifying death scenes, nothing too elaborate. I find some of these movies kind of suffer from they got to outdo the last death sort of uh, mentality. And they keep trying to outdo the last death until it just gets ridiculous. No, this is just straight up kill you with an axe, kill you with a bow kill you with a fucking bear trap. You know, it's nothing fancy and it doesn't try to outdo itself and get ridiculous. 
Some of the death scenes, just the same, were pretty terrifying, and they're well-constructed. And I'm, this one I'm going to go into with the storytelling. There's a scene where one of the characters, and again, don't want to give away who dies and who doesn't. One of the characters has, has created a diversion by running through the woods, you know, kind of between this, this loop and the road, while the other characters steal the inbred hillbillies tow truck, steal his vehicle. And he's running a straight line through the curve in the woods to try and meet up with them. You know, he's provided the distraction. Hey, chase me. I'm over here while they steal the vehicle and go around the curve. So when this character eats it by getting shot with a bow and arrow <laughs> in the back or however he dies, uh, you don't want it to happen story-wise, important to the story. You don't want it to happen in the middle of the woods where nobody knows, nobody sees. It's not terrifying. It's more terrifying to make sure that the other characters see him die. Okay? You get what I'm saying? If it just happens somewhere in the middle of the woods and they're just waiting and they never, you know, they just don't know. They might see him again later. You don't know what happened to him. But if you see him, you're like, there he is. Come on. Come on, man. Come, come on. Just meet us here. And he dies like 10 feet away from you, trying to get to you. To, you know, his escape is right there. And he eats it right there in front of you. Much more terrifying, right? Makes sense, right? So that's where some of these movies make the difference between bad teen slasher and good teen, uh, teen slasher. Or teen scream, I should say. Uh, good structure and how, not just how the deaths happen, but when the deaths happen, who is around when the deaths happen, can make a big difference in the story about how scary it is. To not only you, but the characters. That's part of how you experience fear in these films is through the eyes of the other characters. You're not actually there in those woods. You have to see the other characters' reaction. In fact, there's some of these films where you don't even see the death. Or you just see like a tiny snapshot of the death right before it happens or right as it happens. But no gory details. But you just see enough to give you a little flash of it. But then you see the other characters' reaction, the other actors' face of horror like oh my god and so you you feel it with them you see what i'm saying <laughs> i hope you do i hope i'm making sense to you i'm your captain trying to be a good captain trying to serve you well so i hope that made sense <laughs> i think it did of course i think it did right so <laughs> but anyway this was a good teen scream film it was well constructed had some good characters Again, the only flaw was Eliza Dushku. <laughs> I'm going to have to find out if she was the original choice or if she was a sub. No, we'll leave her alone. But anyway, good film. Uh, I wouldn't say great film. I don't know if any teen screams are great films, but as far as that subgenre, the teen screams, this is above average. So from zero to five tombstones, I'd give it a solid three and a half, three and a broken tombstone. So it's worth watching. And again, the the hillbillies are, are great in this. <laughs> they really are. And again, check out if you can find that blooper reel with the hillbillies. It's, it's hilarious. Save the best for last, guys. The last one I'm going to talk about today is out of the theaters now, although it may not be for much longer. It opened last weekend called Hellfest. I didn't know... I went into this one again, open mind. I wasn't expecting too much. It's a teen scream film. So you never go into these expecting too much, but I was hoping for the best. 
<laughs> I was like, this sounds, I saw the trailers weeks before, like, this could be good, this could be bad, I don't know. I'm going to go see, I'm going to go check it out and see for myself. Again, 2018 film, still out of the theaters. If you get a chance, go and see it. I'm going to recommend this one right now. I'll recommend it at the end, too. <laughs> but uh, the cast for this one is too long to get into, and you haven't heard of any of them either. It's all relatively newcomers. Newcomers, I went look them up. I'm like, maybe I just don't know these people because I don't watch a lot of uh, current TV stuff. So I don't know some of these up-and-coming TV actors. But they haven't been a whole lot. Most of these are newcomers. Like I said, that's not too uncommon in this genre. A lot of, you might see these names later on and go like, oh, that was the person that was in Hellfest. That's how these things go. Especially that this one actually did turn out good. I will, however, mention it's got Tony Todd in it. Tony Todd <laughs> is six foot five and an awesome voice. You know who Tony Todd is. He's been in a ton of stuff. He was in Night of the Living Dead, Candyman, all the Final Destination movies. He's done a ton of voice acting, too. In fact, I think he does more voice acting now than he does actual appearances. And that's, well, he's he's getting much older now. He just is getting much older and probably prefers doing the voice acting. A little less uh, strenuous. <laughs> I don't know. I don't, I'm just conjecturing. I haven't spoken with him. I wish I could, though. Seems like a really cool dude. Uh, I will mention this. Night of the Living Dead, to me, is sort of like uh, James Bond films. Really, Captain? How is that? How is Night of the Living Dead like a James Bond film? How do you come up with that shit? Well, I'll tell you. <laughs> Who you think of as James Bond depends a lot on what year you were born and when you were old enough to start watching James Bond. So if you're James Bond with Sean Connery, you're a certain age group. If you're James Bond with Roger Moore... You're a certain age group. If you're James Bond, it's Pierce Brosnan. You're a certain age group. Yeah, so on and so on. It kind of depends on what age you originally started watching the James Bond, James Bond films. I was a Roger Moore kid. Roger Moore to me was James Bond. I used to get into arguments with my father. And he thought Sean Connery was better. Different generation, right? So that's just how it goes. So Night of the Living Dead is the same way. Your Night of the Living Dead or your Living Dead movie, a lot of it depends on when you were born. You know, where you were at age-wise when you started watching it, what was that Night of the Living Dead? So, some people, previous generation, might, you know, the original black and white Night of the Living Dead. My Night of the Living Dead was the one with Tony Todd and Patricia Tallman. Then you're the little redheaded girl, you know, I'm coming to get you, Barbara. Which, by the way... That guy that was the brother, I'm coming, coming to get you, Barbara, that was with her in the graveyard, with Patricia Tallman in the graveyard, that's the guy that's in those uh, those Rob Zombie movies. They're about to come up with another one, The Devil's Rejects, the one that plays Otis. What's his name? I forget the actor's name, but he plays Otis. He was the brother of Patricia Tallman's character in that graveyard. That's how far back that goes, guy. that guy goes. And... And now he's in all these Rob Zombie films as Otis. I think they've got another one coming out. Three three for the... Oh, God, I don't remember now. Three for the Devil? No. I'm thinking of Devil's Rejects. Three from Hell. That's it. I got it. Three from Hell. <laughs> and that guy goes way back. See what I mean? Nobody knew who he was back then in Night of the Living Dead as Barbara's brother. Now he's Otis. Let me tell you something. That dude is probably like in his late 50s 
Go watch those Rob Zombie movies where he plays Otis. That dude's got six pack abs, ripped, and his he's got to be in his late fifties. If I had to guess, he's probably almost sixty. And ripped abs, man, it can be done. <laughs> Have you noticed I, I get astray from the subject a little bit here, guys? That's me. I hope it's entertaining, though. It's entertaining the shit out of me. I make myself crack up. That's why this is so fun. And <laughs> so anyway, that was my version of Night of the Living Dead because when I was born, just like Roger Moore is my James Bond, this is my that was my Night of the Living Dead. Had Tony Todd, Patricia Tallman, which by the way, Patricia Tallman's like five foot ten. She's an Amazon. Okay, she's been in a ton of sci-fi stuff. She's a big Amazon woman, but you put her next to Tony Todd, she looks petite. Okay. So Tony Todd's big old dude, awesome voice. <laughs> He's in this, but I was a little disappointed. Well, I'm not disappointed. I can't say disappointed when I see Tony Todd. But he was only in it very briefly cameo. I'm not even sure if they named his character in the film. Just a very brief sort of cameo appearance. But it was good. It was Tony Todd. He was up there talking. You know, I, I enjoyed seeing him. <laughs> <laughs> Although it is very obvious he's he's getting up there in age, you know. So Hellfest, again, some college-age teens, they're going to have some fun. They're going to have some good, scary fun. They go into this amusement park. Uh, it's kind of a, not a permanent place like a lot of amusement parks. They set up. Yeah, They might be there for a few weeks, and everybody comes, and they break it all down, and they go away. You know, like a traveling fair. <laughs> When they set it up right in the beginning, they tell you this is like the most extreme, you know, horror festival, uh, haunted house festival in the country. You got to go see it. You can't miss it. It's coming to your town, blah, blah, blah. And these kids uh, get set up with VIP passes from one of their friends who's somehow associated with the show. So they get all access pass, you know, to go see this to the most extreme areas of the park and all this. And well, Again, just setting out to have fun, have a good time, maybe some cheap, you know, cheap thrills, cheap scares, all that stuff. Well, it turns out there is an actual killer in the park stalking and killing them one by one. And a lot of it gets passed off as, uh, you know, you're into the cops going, hey, this guy was coming at me with a knife. Like, yeah, yeah, that happens all the time. This park is a fake knife. It's a, you know, it's kind of hiding in the midst of this horror festival where People are paid to run around and scare you. So <laughs> so that's part of it. It's like even her friends, you know, or the main character's friends or the police, they're kind of like, yeah, yeah, that's part of the show. You know, you're supposed to be scared and they're doing their job. And But this one guy is doing a little bit more than his job. In fact, uh, you know, he just he just walks onto the park like anybody else, puts this mask on like everybody else has a wearing or a lot of the people wearing masks and proceeds to stalk and kill them. He gets fixated on them in a pretty interesting way. I won't give it away either, but she, he ends up getting fixated. It's not without any reason, like in the first film I talked about here. He actually gets fixated on this particular group for a reason, and uh, it, it fits with the character of the killer. They they explain a lot to you about these characters, very short amount of time, and it's not cheesy. Uh, the only thing I'll say is one of the characters is very over-the-top, stereotypical now typically in these films that of course involves young 
young, you know, college age or high school age teens. So you're always going to have the one character that's just got sex on the brain, you know, just. But this is like over the top sexual and uh, way overboard with it. Like, hey, guys, you know, we're going to, yeah, <laughs> we're going to get it on. You know, it's just this, that character was stupid. <laughs> and uh, of course, I was just like, oh, someone please kill this over the top, uh, over sexualized chick, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to tell you. I'm not going to tell you if she dies or not. She dies. No, no, she doesn't die. Yes, she does. But anyway, uh, <laughs> out, of the, out of the characters, she was probably the one I wish would have died first. I'll put it that way. I won't tell you if she dies or not, but I wish she would have died first. But no, I'll give you that. She doesn't die first. Okay, maybe I've said too much. Oh no, I've said to you. I'm not going to sing to you guys. I can't sing. So anyway, back to the story. <laughs> so again, typical setup. Some good character development here. Uh, I won't say great character development because none of these have great character development. But overall, I'll say this was a good teen scream film. It was not stupid. It was not, uh, again, not really trying to outdo itself with each of the kills. Although there's one thing I would say about one of the killing scenes and without giving too much away, one of the killing scenes was just not possible. And it bothered me a little bit in the film, but everything else up to that point and everything after was like, that was good. So I was like, I can ignore that one little thing. Okay. It's fine. But the way he killed one of the people, it just, it just was not, you can't kill someone that way. It's just not possible. You might hurt them pretty bad, but it's not going to kill them. <laughs> it's just not possible. You know, they would probably black out. <laughs> but uh, no. So there was only one scene and it wasn't even over the top. I wouldn't say that. It wasn't like it was trying to outdo the other killings. Uh, although the killer, I think, could have stuck a little more to one method. But I get it. He was improvising. Uh, he wasn't uh, allowed to bring weapons into the park. Uh, there's like metal detectors right in the front. So, cause a lot of people bringing in fake looking machetes and stuff, the police and the people on the park want to make sure nobody's bringing a real machete. So it makes sense. They would have metal detectors at their entryway and he walks through and passes. So he has to improvise and use things at the park to kill these people. But like I said, one of these things he uses just wouldn't kill somebody. You just, you just couldn't do it. <laughs> or it would have taken a lot more. Uh, than what he actually did to kill someone with that particular item. I'll say that. Uh, one thing I forgot to mention about all these films, and if you've listened to the original show, you know this about me. I will mention this a lot of times in horror. Uh, this film handled it. All of these films handled it in some way. You always have to handle what I call the cell phone problem. One of the most important elements of horror is isolation. Or the idea that no help is coming for you. Help is not available. You're on your own against whatever's coming after you. So in the modern age, the problem writers have is everybody's got a cell phone. Everybody. You know, back in the day, even when cell phones came out, not everybody had one. But not everybody's got one. Everyone's got one in their pocket. Everyone's got one on their hip. So you need to somehow render that where it doesn't help them. 
and doesn't necessarily mean physical isolation, although in wrong turn it was. They were in the middle of nowhere in South Carolina woods. There's no cell towers for miles. So they literally had no reception. And a lot of these movies try to take care of it, that cell phone problem, as early as they can the film. Wrong Turn did it before he even got in an accident, wrecked into the other kid's vehicle. He's driving on the South Carolina road, this back road, trying to call the people, let them know he's going to be late for his appointment, and he keeps losing connection and then can't get a connection. So they just they find some way to show you in the film, and they, you know, show, don't tell, they show you somehow the cell phone doesn't work they can't call for help they're isolated from help uh the, the the silliest one in these in these three examples was the truth or dare one somehow they're just the entity was making their cell phones not work in their house like i said extremely powerful entity uh hellfest was similar to wrong turn it was just like the cell phones worked at first but when they took the ride that took them into the more uh extreme area of the park the one that was a little further out in the boonies suddenly they had no cell reception they always take care of it some way. It can be no battery, no signal. Cell phone gets broken by the killer, uh, which is used in a few films. But they always got to take care of the cell phone problem. And they did in this, you know, all three of these films. I forgot to mention that with the first one, but I'm getting to it now. So, <laughs> again, Hellfest, uh, I went in not really knowing what to expect, but I was pleasantly surprised. It was actually a really good team screen film. I'm a little surprised that it's not lasting that long in the theater. Maybe people just, I don't know, wasn't in the mood for a teen screen film or just didn't give it a chance. Because I think in my local theater here, it's already down to just two showings uh, after just one week. And yet The Nun is still there. I talked about The Nun before. The Nun was horrible and it's been running for weeks and weeks now. I don't I don't get that. But And this one's probably not going to be here next week. I'd be real surprised if it's here next week. So if you want to go see it at the theater... Now, this might be your last week to go see it. I do recommend it. Tombstone rating, 0 to 5. I would give this one a solid 4. I think it's definitely worth going to see. If you don't catch it in the theater, it's definitely worth getting on video. If you like teen screen films, this is one of the better examples of them. (laughs) So I guess I'm done with that content for you for the week. I do have writing tips for you today. Last episode, I didn't have writing tips. And then we're, we're going to be kind of running long this episode, but that's okay. Make up for missing last week, right? So my writing tip today, I'm talking about one of my writing challenges. Uh, I have, you know, every writer has their own personal challenging st- challenges, things that are particularly difficult for them in their writing process. And one of mine is staying focused. As you've noticed in this show, I tend to drift. <laughs> I'm ADD as hell. And I will drift from subject to subject. The same thing with writing. I had I used to have a lot of trouble in the beginning just remaining seated. I'd sit down and start typing, and I would get excited about what I was typing. And I'd get up and pace the room for like 10 minutes and lose 10 minutes of writing time. Uh, I don't do that anymore. I still tend to drift and start thinking about other things and make notes on other chapters or scenes or even other books. Like, oh, let me get back to what I was writing. I don't need to be writing notes on that other thing right now. So I have developed some tricks and gotten tips from other writers that I use as far as staying focused, and I will give those tips to you now. So here's five tricks I use to stay focused when I'm writing. Isolation. (laughs) And I don't mean like locking yourself in an office. For a lot of people, that's not possible. 
for me, it's not practical just, uh, just to lock myself in the office, away from life, away from the kids, all that stuff. But you can do isolation just with a set of headphones. You know, just put the headphones on. You're still available. You know, the kids need something, want something, whatever. But the headphones, put something on the headphones, whether it's a podcast like mine <laughs> or whatever. So have some headphones on, you know, listen to something uh, and whatever it is that helps you stay focused. And that leads to my next two tips, the kind of stuff that I listen to on my headphones to help me stay focused. First one, of course, is music. Music's kind of a no-brainer. A lot of writers do this. Some writers like instrumental music where there's no lyrics. They find lyrics distract them. I tried that. I tried downloading a bunch of these uh, like movie production score type music and classical music. And for some reason, that did not work for me. Uh, and, and lyrics do not bother me in the way that it does some people. It's usually much better for me to stay focused if I have some good, familiar music, maybe some albums that I've listened to over and over again over the years, where I know the lyrics and everything well enough to not really get distracted by them. Just kind of background noise to me, something familiar playing in the background. I find the dramatic stuff and the classical music actually gets me kind of stirred up. There's something about that music. Uh, you think about the history of the classical music and these movie score type music. Their whole purpose is to get you worked up, to get you excited, get the blood flowing, get the hormones going, you know. So they work on me and I get too pumped up from classical music and movie scores. I start want to get up and swing a sword at somebody. <laughs> Or take out my blaster rifle and shoot a couple pulses down range. That kind of music does that to me. Too distracting. Rather some good music that I like that I'm very familiar with. Can't be some album I haven't heard before because then I'll start listening to like, what is this? Do I like this? Um, so that's what works for me. But whatever works for you and your headphones, if classical music works for you, that's great. Doesn't do it for me. Next one, I picked up this tip from another writer friend of mine. Rain Sounds. And there's tons of these you can download now. There's even apps that just generate rain sounds for you. Uh, you can download tons of rain albums, thunderstorms, rainstorms, storm on a tin roof, whatever kind of variation floats your boat, you know, floods your river and makes your boat float. Whatever variation works for you. You like a jungle thunderstorm. You like rain on a tin roof. You can find it and download it. This one was very effective for me to kind of focus in on my writing, drown out everything else, and remain seated. Remain calm and remain seated. Rain's a very soothing sound. There's a reason a lot of those little, you know, help you sleep devices have a rain sound option. It's very repetitive, kind of droning thing that will relax you. Some people might relax them too much. I don't know. For me, it works. So rain sounds, if the music just ain't working that particular day, I'll switch to rain sounds. Tip number four and five is actually things not to do. <laughs> okay, no movies. You put movies on, you'll end up watching the movie and not writing. So that one's pretty simple, self-explanatory. The other ones, number five, no games or browsers. Browsers are kind of hard to avoid. They're on everything. I just make it a point not to open one, okay? But no games, a little bit easier. Uh, for instance, I do a lot of writing on my iPad. 
and I have no games installed on it. There are literally no games on my iPad. I just don't even give myself the temptation. It's a little harder when sitting at the PC because I do have games on the PC. Uh, but just make it a point not to launch the games, I guess, if you're on that. When I had a laptop that I roved around with for writing, I never installed any games on that either, just like the iPad. So that's kind of a no-brainer. If you play a game, even if you go like, well, you know, I've been writing for an hour and I'm kind of like, I need a break. I'll just play a game. No, you won't get back to the writing. You'll end up like three hours later and be like, oh, crap, I just played 150 turns of Civilization Six, So, <laughs> or I just played four hours of Sims 4 or or, or Counter-Strike. I just played 30 rounds of it. And No, you, you won't get back to it as soon as you would from just like maybe taking a break and go getting a snack or... um you know, maybe go browse for five minutes. Don't disappear down any browsing wormholes, though. Uh, like I said, I tend to avoid the browsers. <laughs> but games are a definite deal breaker. You end up playing them for hours and you're like, oh, my God, I only got a half hour left tonight to do some more writing. So just don't do it. <laughs> so anyway, that's my five tips for staying focused while writing. If you have your own tips, hey, feel free to contact me. You know, check out my uh, our website. Uh, there's my contact information there. You can contact me on uh, the OZD Facebook page. And uh, if you have any other writing tips, uh, maybe I'll share them on another episode. You know, if you not necessarily disagree with me, but if you have some other things that work better for you, uh, let me know about them. I might try them myself. <laughs> so uh, I thought we was going to run long, but we're actually pretty much on target today. I'm going to get Dragana to get us get the drives warmed up because we're about to get on out of here next week I think the theme is going to be one of my favorites hauntings and ghost stories that's something I really enjoy uh, check out the Facebook page Instagram also I'd like to ask uh, anybody that's listening please rate and review us on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts it really helped getting word out about the show if you enjoy the show Please, rating a review will help immensely. Time for us to drop out of low Earth orbit, head to another galactic adventure. See you in one week. Dragana, take us out.